Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Powinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the NSL Podcast. I'm Eduardo. I'm Daniel. And uh, I just want to go ahead and say we're going to put a pause on Genesis and move right into the esoteric breakdown of a specific movie that Daniel and I have been talking about for quite some time. Daniel decided, hey, you know what, let's go ahead and put a pause a little bit on Genesis and move right into this this movie since like I think a couple of weeks ago we talked about how we would go back into breaking down some movies. And for this episode, we will do the breakdown of the movie Nine. Yes. Which is a, a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. Um, most people that I talk to about this movie um, either haven't heard of it or might have remembered seeing something about it, but it really went under the radar. Right. And um, there's just so much to unravel of this movie and, and so much that already has been done by others. But uh, very exciting to know that at least in cinema and in modern day cinema, you know, a movie like this uh, has been created. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll jump right into it. The The movie was was released um, September 9th, 2009. Right, so 99.09. Yeah, I love that. Um, it was produced by, by Tim Burton and it was directed by um, Shane Ackers. Okay. Um, and gosh, I mean, the symbolisms in this in this movie, the the symbols themselves in this movie are just like overwhelming and just um, left such an impression on me. So what we should do first is kind of start with the idea of what the movie, you know, presents um, to the exoteric um, viewer. And, you know, if you have seen it, you know, you'll, you'll know that the movie is uh, a representation of of this sort of like post-apocalyptic world. Right. Um, where machines took over and humanity no longer exists. And the movie begins with a doll, which are these stitch punks. I like the the name that they, they, they've been coined. I saw that in a couple other places. Um, but uh, the dolls are the only thing that separates... Um, the machines from what's left of humanity. And I think that they do a wonderful job at sort of making an interpretation of each doll. Each doll has a number and they're known by their number. So um, we'll, we'll definitely get into the representation of each number and what it really signifies as far as, you know, who's what in, in each character. Um, but yeah, the, the movie has a premise where a scientist who created a life form that was able to then take over our planet, um, you know, and, and it shows how it, it fails after he gives machinery uh, basically a soul. I think his way to counterattack the, the war that goes on between the machines and humans is to take bits of his of his soul and this uh, ability to uh, imprint his soul onto these dolls, these stitch punks, which are, there are nine of these dolls. And the movie begins with the number nine, the number nine doll awakens and 
finds himself in this po- post-apocalyptic world and the movie starts from there. So yeah. that's like the the premise. Uh, spoiler alerts on some of this, uh, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, but highly recommend watching this movie. Uh, I've seen it uh, a couple times already and it's just... There's just so much into it. So let's go, let's go right into it, man. Right. Yeah. No. And again, it's one of those movies that is an iceberg and on the outside, it looks like it represents a certain agenda and, but on the inside, it really represents something much, much deeper. Right. You were kind of alluding to. Um, And, you know, I think the, the important thing about these machines that are going to be the antagonists in this story is they're not so much, they use the word humanity in the movie but we know they're really talking about consciousness. These right. machines are trying to wipe out consciousness because, again, these ragdolls are an extension of this consciousness. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of see that process and see how the scientists sacrifice themselves to give life. And there's so many esoteric allegories. And I know we want to kind of touch on some of the other stuff that's kind of been presented, like we were talking about really great article on Vigilant Citizen, which will kind of talk about the time frame mm-hmm. of what this is talking about. Um, and it's going to be kind of on the Egyptian time frame, right. which is kind of unique because we were kind of looking at the Druvidian time frame. Again, they're, all these cycles are connected, but there's different aspects that they kind of highlight. And so we'll kind of look at that that aspect. Um, but what one thing that captures you very quickly in this film is it's, again, it's like 120 minutes, right? The thing that kind of captures you is is the characters and really what they represent and in that short amount of time, you really get to understand these characters because they're very concrete images of certain archetypes. And so we're going to see, as we kind of meet these numbers and as we kind of progress through, we're going to see the expression of these archetypes. And what this film is looking at, because it's this post-Armageddon aspect, it's really looking at through through the lens of the researcher and the occultist, Aleister Crowley, it's really going to look at kind of the energies he felt were going to survive in this new world. Right. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting aspect. We're kind of jumping to that. But, you know, again, right away, the wakening up of nine is really important. And there's a lot of symbol. There's a lot of symbology to it. Right. And so it's so interesting because when we, when we find nine after the intro, he's suspended mm-hmm. by the string and then that string breaks and that's what falls and he wakes the consciousness. So right. right there, we're seeing the fall into consciousness. And there's, and again, the whole aspect of speeding itself up. And, you know, he falls, hits the ground, he awakes, puts himself up. And so what we're seeing is this time frame of our story being right. very condensed down into one second, two seconds. And again, this kind of slips by your consciousness, but this thing is becoming consciously aware of itself. And there's even the moment where it wiggles its fingers. Right. And this is something we talk a lot about in the natal chart readings that we've been doing for the counseling, because at one moment, you too wiggled your fingers and identified yourself as an individual aspect of consciousness. Correct. Right. You might not use that term, but you saw that you were different from your mother. Like you wiggled your fingers and your mother's fingers didn't wiggle. And it was like, that's like the a hero does times 10 yeah. when it comes to breakthroughs right there. You know, we, we talk about this. We're not consciously aware of this. We don't remember this personally, but when we see this experience on screen, it's going to activate something inside you. So this whole movie is act, trying to activate something inside you because you went through this consciousness. You had the fall, you hit earth, you woke up, you kind of 
maneuvered your hands. And then immediately after that, he kind of starts to explore his environment. And the first thing he encounters is the scientist who Who we don't know. What's that? Who gives him the voice. Who gives him his voice, right? Which goes back to the word, which really goes back to the story of John in the Bible, right? Um, Which is really, really important. And that voice develops, right? He needs to kind of get it adjusted. But the aspect of seeing the scientist, and we don't really understand the scientist's role at this point in the film, but he sees death. So not only have we had this, this relationship and this experience, and we're observing this experience of something becoming consciously aware of himself after the fall, we also see that immediate understanding that I'm finite. And that what that consciously, that's another hero dosage of, you know, almost like a psychedelic aspect that happened to us or a transcendental aspect that happened to us that, again, we're not consciously aware of, but it had a formation on who we are, Mm -hmm. right? And so, and that's exactly what we're going to see kind of grow out of this, but but how he approaches this, and we're going to follow Nine's story because he's really the the hero on this hero's journey. And we're really going to kind of find his story but there's this aspect of it's his it's his attributes it's how he handles these situations that's going to make him the hero um and he went through the same experiences we went through right and so they're trying to allude something to you like it's about your relationship to these experiences and we're going to see certain dolls that live in fear we're going to see certain dolls that want to keep their head in the sand and he he's going to be a little bit different with a few other ones, um, but this is this is not just for development in this physical world. This is actually going to show survival in this physical world, and that's what's so interesting about this because there's certain attributes that the director, through the influence of probably Crowley and the and the discussion between the transition between the age of Osiris and Horus, which we're right. kind of talking about where he identified certain attributes are going to be needed to create the new world and to survive the transition of the old world. And so it's not even just, I mean, it is about self-development and self-growth and unfoldment, but he's saying that this is absolutely needed if you're going to survive this transitionary period of the beast, which is what they call the machine. The machine, yeah. And then they always, I like to to go back what you said about the movie being just like, so short and so condensed major questions that we ask ourselves throughout time are asked by the doll along the way you know he's like are we alone he's like oh you'll never be alone he's like right. you're never alone uh and then they just move on to the, to the next scene you know what i mean like they just drop this on you so quickly but it's all the same questions that we ask along the way and what we probably will be asking for the rest of eternity every time there's a new cycle that comes in and you know tries to um lure us away from from progress and becoming uh, a humble society again is that you know fear comes first the questions come right after but the answers are are all there and i like how they just do that with the characters that that um are helping nine as he's sort of like stumbling into this world you know right right and we're really seeing the completion because they all play a part of what you're gonna need right right um and i think that's that's really important. And, you know, even in the intro, there's even in the intro from the media company, it's Relativity Media, and it's it's like this epic intro, and it mm-hmm. like takes you through the universe. Um, but even when they're introducing the story, you see the scientist, you know, cutting the cloth made from the same cloth. So there's biblical 
significance there and the idea of stringing through a needle's eye right. and the aspect of that's that's the way of truth. And that's why you can't walk a camel through a needle's eye. Like you can't take materialism with you. Only truth, grace, and virtue is what gets you through to that other side. And so there's all this significance. Um, and it's, and in the, in the, in the creator who's the scientist also is talking about how, you know, knowledge and technology was used to their own damnation. Right. Great snapshot of maybe the situation that we might be in where, you know, Manly P. Holbrook, I, I love how he always addressed it. He said, knowledge will give you the information how to build a bomb. Wisdom will decide if you need to build the bomb or not. Right. right? And that's what we're kind of seeing this this technological society. And as we kind of get introduced to what this world was prior to this post-apocalypse, it was, it was this very tech-centered, science-based, but more of the religion of scientism, not the scientific method. Right. Um, but that was kind of their damnation. They kind of lost the source of what life was really was. And they started building machines to fight their enemies. And then the machines turned on themselves. And we're even going to have self-reproducing machines. So the machines are going to be made in their image, in their image yeah. just like these dolls were made in the image of the scientist. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, even like the color of green, that's going to come up with the creator. That's going to be a an ode to the emerald tablet. Right, right. When he moves that that piece that we're going to kind of look at that connects everything that gets mm -hmm. inverted, and it's kind of the image that um, even our main character picks up in the beginning, and he carries it with him, and he doesn't know what it is. Right. Um, but that's going to have huge significance. Like we don't even know as in the beginning what this piece is that kind of can invert the machine and the whole aspect. Um, but you know, just to kind of look again, I mean, I just wanted to that fall from slumber. And the aspect of sleeping and then waking up into consciousness is just really going to be this really important part because, you know, this is, again, significance of that first time that you met yourself. And this meeting is going to happen again and again throughout your life as you connect with more aspects of yourself. Right. And so it's just such an important process to see played out on screen. And it's, again, it's five seconds long. And you don't, you really have to, when we're watching these movies for these esoteric significance, you really have to, you know, it's in those, it's in the moments away from the dialogue sometimes that really, really deep information is kind of being presented to us. So, you know, just that idea of meeting yourself and that this was a new thing kind of for you. I mean, it was an aspect that you were a part of, but as we go through the spiritual development, as we go through all this unfoldment, we're constantly meeting more aspects of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been talking about it a lot. We had that conversation when we were on Animus together. You know, Jung's philosophy is you are born whole and you have to collect all those pieces right? rather than your personality being burned by experience and experience. And this is kind of what this is alluding to. You know, right. you have to meet all the aspects of yourself. Um, and, you know, what was your initial reaction the first time you met yourself? And it was kind of like what Nine is presenting to us. Um, and so he kind of goes out, right, because he has to leave that, that place he's in and he sees somebody. Right, that he sees what's going to be number two, two. right, um, and he sees two in the distance, and that's um, what do you kind of what was your take on two? Because it's a really really big character. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think two, you know, holds as Daniel was saying about you know collecting all the aspects of yourself in the movie, and as we like break down the characters, you'll see that for yourself. But how they introduce each one and the timeline of each one has a specific 
purpose for it. And as he stumbles into the world, you know, nine being, you know, the enlightened one, the one who's going to be asking the questions, the one who doesn't know why he's here or what comes next, the first person to sort of communicate with him is this sort of internal um, ancient wisdom that he feels comforted by. And immediately that wisdom tells him, hey, I'm a friend, you know, because he doesn't know how to perceive number two. But number two is very quick and very much uh, calm in the situation to sort of tell him like, hey, you know, like he's the one who told what I just said earlier. He's the one who says to him uh, when nine asks, are we alone? He says, you're never alone. So he says just the smallest of things to him to comfort his world by saying like, hey, you know, you are in, in, in this rubble and this sort of chaos, but like it's going to be okay. Right. Um, and, and two does a good job at sort of, um, making sure that nine is protected first before the beast comes and takes two away. The sacrifice. The sacrifice. So Mm -hmm. that's the first of the sacrifices that you'll see in this movie. Um, and, and that now starts the journey for nine to go back and, and save two, because he, in that moment, he understands selflessness. He understands the sacrifice just happened. He's like, you know, we were both together for a minute you're you're kind of downloading this information into me but then just as quick as i met you you're now been taken away right and so now i must go on a journey to retrieve you to get you back right and that's sort of nine's first um mode of of like purpose or or of just you know taking on uh this task of of bringing back two. right right and you know what's great about this movie too and i think everybody who's got that kind of esoteric keen eye is two's going to be the representation of the divine mother. Right. And so this is what's really cool about this movie. And I love that. I think this is again, why maybe it got slipped under the mat, but you know, usually the divine mother's played by a feminine, but we're going to kind of see the hero in this movie that kind of comes in to save the day through action is going to be played by a female. So we have this, we're now seeing that the sex does not have to be the register of the archetypal image. It really has no matter of who is. The archetypal mother can be played by a male character because it's the energy that it's bringing, right? right? And then how perfect is that your archetypal mother, and it was his first friend. Who is your first friend? It's your mother. So again, it's this representation. And then this journey to save two now becomes this journey to save the sacred feminine. And that's where this journey is going to come from. And that's why that, again, two doesn't have to say much, but it's just his presence that can calm him. It's, it's those simple words. It's not a, it's not a lecture. Two's right. not giving a lecture. It's his presence. So again, it's that motherly nurturing energy that teaches, which is the first teacher of the individual and how important it is that yeah. he met two first and he doesn't meet one first who we're going to meet later, um, who's a complete opposite of this sacred feminine energy and it's really going to be this aggressive um inverted divine masculine when it kind of makes its way but um but yeah it's just a great example i love how they're gonna use you know the various of the expression of sexes in the material to represent these archetypal images Mm -hmm. of what this truly is so maybe we can help it will help people kind of disconnect of the image of the archetypal mother always having to be played by a female female yeah right um, and so he is, 
Well, just really quick, yeah. the, the archetypal uh, female, um, you know, yeah, it's always played by by that mother energy, or sorry, the other way around, the, the mother energy that's always portrayed by the female is often known, and it, it happens a lot with the way he touches nine, number two, by um, the elderly. So every time that you meet, um, if you if you watch the movie closely, number two carries himself with both energies, mm-hmm. uh, male uh, and female. And it's always been accepted, in, in my opinion, in society that when an elderly person, especially a mask or a ma- male, like physical male, takes on um, both energies at the same time as he approaches physical death, there's a comfort about that. We all know that about the grandfather who is not necessarily uh, one or the other as far as the essence of a male or female. And that's that's what you'll see in that whole scene with number two. It's like how he puts his hand on his shoulder, how he sort of like tells him with a gentle voice, like, it's okay, you're going to be okay. So, you know, I, I absolutely agree that, that that's what's really going on there, um, you know. But that's something that, again, you can see within the elderly community, especially if you meet, you know, an elderly man, you're just like, oh, you're not really, you know, portraying the the aspects of your masculine side as much as you are more now with the more of a female, more of a gentle, more of a caring, nurturing uh, energy. So, right. but yeah, moving on. No, no, that's perfect, man. And you're you're exactly right. And again, it's amazing how two has such a small role in this film when it comes to screen time but plays such a huge significance. And it's that driving factor that's going to emulate kind of the whole story and carry the whole story through. Um, And so nine, we kind of find in this spot is kind of beaten because the beast has come. And so the beast came and took away two, two sacrifices himself. So nine can get away. And we kind of see nine barely making his way and he's going to be recovered by another character we're going to meet, which is five. Right. Five's going to kind of be seeing him through the telescope. Um, and again, we're going to be introduced with a lot of other things here. We're going to be see more of this one eye symbolism, right? Because five is going to be you losing his left eye. And we're going to see what that actually represents because he does kind of five is going to be, although very caring, lacks courage is very fearful um and it's that losing that left side that masculine aspect where most of the monsters and the beast in this story they too have one eye yeah but a lot of times they're missing the right eye Mm -hmm. or if the right eye is intact it's glowing red right but the idea that there's no sacred feminine present in this world um it's all this really aggressive inverted masculine energy and it's a dominator feel and that's what they're trying to do they're trying to stamp out that divine feminine and again it's it's what the whole story is. That's why the whole journey is to save that female. That's why the female gets kidnapped. And we've seen this before. Right. But again, the female doesn't have to be played by that esoteric feminine energy doesn't have to be played by a female. It's played by a male in this role. And it's really important. And so he gets saved um, and he's kind of patching up nine. And then nine is going to encounter one and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is definitely the more powerful character here, and he's really going to represent exoteric religion, um, really the kind of target Catholicism in here, yeah. but also institutions, you know, institutions that... Institutions f- backed by muscle, which is eight. 
It, which is eight. And eight's going to be that brute order follower. Right. You know what I mean? Who doesn't really, as long as you tell them what to do, they're fine with it. Um, and yeah, number one's really going to be based off of fear. Um, not only is number one because he was the first doll, mm-hmm. he's the writer of history, but he's also the director of thought. And he knows if he can control the thoughts, he can control the actions. And just exactly. like that institution the Catholic Church did for a very long time, they controlled both of those. They controlled the history of the world, and they also controlled the um, the direction of thought. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's always this, this fear-based aspect, and he's also the only one that... Um, dolls himself up with things like he has a penny on his hat. Like it shows kind of the materialistic, the materialistic side of the Catholic Church which and the is, power. I mean, he's got the he's got the staff, he's got the cape, he's got the he looks like the Pope. Obviously, right. when you it look was, at him, it's they, very direct. Yeah, they yeah. very laid it out, very very point. You know, to to the point. And and immediately he has this quarrel with with nine as nine is is the um, you know as as he's enlightened into this world he's asking all the right questions but you know he's asking the wrong person and right. and that causes fear and discomfort within one one is just you know immediately shutting nine down he's like look um this is how it is this is how it's always been and this is how it's always going to be um so mind yourself and and nine doesn't accept that right away so then they go even further to to want to show nine Look, this is what happened when people um, turn on themselves, and this is what happens when when the world goes dark. Right. So here we are, and I saved all of us dolls um, by not having to go inquiring about all the things you're inquiring about, but more so like keeping you suppressed from information that you know doesn't need to be asked about. Because look where it got us, right? And nine still doesn't accept. He says, you know, that's that's just not really, you know. Um, what's really going on here. There's something more going on here. And that that he's alluding to uh, on the more specific matter is let's go ahead and get two again. Like why was two out and about on his own? If you're protecting all of them or all of us, why would you let him go on his own? Which is the scene where now uh, five, who five is the one-eyed uh, individual uh, that we were talking about, doesn't even know that. He doesn't know, oh, two was... He said, you saw two out there, you know, and he says, yeah, I saw two out there. He was taken by the beast. And immediately one says, that's it. He's a goner then. Mm -hmm. We don't need to go for him. We don't know. We don't need to rescue him. Like he made his choice and that's, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. So, so there's a, there's a lot that, that happens in that whole moment between the power struggle, the curiosity from five and, you know, the butting of heads between nine and one right right. so yeah no absolutely man that's that's so true because you're right five is unaware that and he's like wise too you know because again he's like he's not the deepest and he's a little bit afraid but he's like why was two out there alone like we don't travel alone and we're going to find out that that's going to be kind of um something that one kind of does but i love how you talked about how he controls the knowledge and even controls the information like you know I tell them what they need to know. Right. And this is, again, a, a great... And this is what was Crowley's biggest problem with the Catholic Church. And this is what all esoteric peoples... Like, you know, right. other than the actions, what they did with, you know, the massacre and all the terrible things that the Catholic Church is responsible for. But the biggest thing is the amount of information that they have pulled out of circulation. 
you know, under the Vatican, there's libraries miles and miles long of occulted books oh, yeah. that they pulled out of circulation. You know, when everybody was talking about storming Area 51, I was like, why Area 51? Let's storm the Vatican Library. Yeah, seriously. You know, like that's really where it's going to be. That's what's going to be able to connect us to those, if there is, you know, a, a extraterrestrial life out there or interdimensional life, whatever your perspective is on that. But um, yeah, there's, so the keeping of information. And mm -hmm. so, you know, again, and it's going to be so interesting because we're going to see a sting of what happens when, when nine by accidentally does something that he doesn't understand. And we're going to see, so it's almost like one's point is made, but it's not, it's we, you have to learn from your mistakes and we're going to kind of learn that through this, but yeah, fearful, dogmatic, very closed minded. And, you know, we're going to have some great quotes about fear in this film but one's quote on fear, so you know where one stands with fear. He says, sometimes fear is the appropriate response. Um, and that's just so perfect of his philosophy. And right. he rules by fear because the only way he can stay in power is because of eight, which is by far the biggest massive. Um, and he's just, again, he's an order follower. There's no moral compass within himself. It's whatever tells upstairs tells him what to do, he does. Um, even to the appointment where he's like, he repeats exactly what one says. one says. One's like, I told you so. And he's like, sharpening is nice. He's like, he told you so. You know, yeah. like it's just, you know, monkey see, monkey do kind right. of situation. And he's a simple individual. Yeah. Later on in life, we see, later on in the story, we see that he likes to sneak away and put a magnet on his head. So we have this like lower consciousness, like not looking for the deeper mm -hmm. answers kind of in, in things. And really kind of what, Alistair Crowley was kind of talking about in this transition period about the population. You know how he was talking about in 1904 is when Crowley really saw this age of Osiris switching to this age of Horus. And he says in that transition page, page because we're getting the ability for what he calls the Godhead passed down to us, right. to the individual, so they can have their own self-development and climb that own ladder— he talks about how we're in a very much infant stage. It's like a reset and mm -hmm. we come into an infant stage. And again, these are Crowley's world, words. These are not know thyself, but he addresses the aspect of, you know, this is why this gen this this century, you guys are gonna watch boys play games and it's gonna change whole nation and the whole world's gonna be toned down to it. He's gonna be like right. he said, This is why you guys are gonna adopt ideas like communism and fascism and materialism, because you're babies. Right. Um you know, again, not my words, but this is how Crowley kind of viewed this age. He was just like, you're yeah. going to be, you're going to all gonna keep putting magnets on your head and you're going to be all addicted to drugs. And even occultism is going to be a watered down version of not really truly what it is. Um, and, and this is kind of represented really strongly through eight. And I think he's so big because he represents a majority of the population. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yep. the size of the individuals kind of and he's the only one that's huge mm -hmm. huge right um and he's and again i think he, that size is in accordance to the population because right. it is kind of a lot of brute not so much brutes but it's just that's that's what it was kind of signifying like the population's right. majority are going to be these individuals that don't really think deeply about this yeah simple-minded but um with the right persuasion um maybe redirected at some point in time Right, because I mean, the he thing doesn't about show it, like complete evil or complete uh, right. ignorance of of the possibility of something beyond what he's been told. You know what I mean? And right. he kinda... He's just had such a limited box that he's exactly. grown. Up. So it's yeah, it's exactly. It's like, um, you know, we have a 
at my parents' house, they have this tortoise and it was in the front yard and it was a certain size. And then it got a little bit bigger because it's an, like an African tortoise that they adopted. Um, and it got a little too big for the front yard and they moved it into the backyard. And the thing is like tripled in size, I swear, in like two weeks. Because you grow to the box that you get put into. Right. You know what I mean? And this is a great expression of kind of this, the capacity of what eight is. You know, he's been put in this little box. But even, again, you said that there's goodness there because he does protect one and he protects the other ones when the beast comes. Like he stands in front of them. He holds his knife. He knows his role. Yeah. So he's got that Mars warrior energy. It's just not directed in quite the right space at right. this point. Um, but there is that, there is goodness in him. You know, you can kind of see it. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're talking about all these other characters and we're going to kind of introduce some more characters, but nine, you know, we, we really haven't kind of looked into the aspect that nine really is going to, one, he represents the fool's journey in the beginning. Right. right? And we kind of see that whole journey of the fool to the hero and getting the world card at the end. Um, but he's also, you know, he's young, he's adventurous, he's courageous. He's Frodo. He's And it is Frodo, which is so funny. It's Gandalf. It is Frodo. Um, and what is it? Elijah Wood? Elijah Wood. Yeah. And he great voice for it, too. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? It was great voice. But again, th- those characters, those individuals that represent that archetype get cast into those roles because they're just a perfect explanation of that archetype, you know? So we have another hero's journey for Elijah Wood. Um, and he's really going to be the represent of Prometheus and Lucifer. And this is very much is based on a Luciferian perspective. And so, again, we've kind of presented, there's Luciferian perspectives, the esoteric schools, there's, you know, Masonic interpretations. Um, Those are very connected as well. There's Gnostic. There's so many kind of different perspectives within this, but it's good to know that this is kind of a Luciferian Luciferian. perspective on what the end of the world is going to look like. And What's the one thing that Nine brings with him the whole time is that little lighted torch. Yep. You know, really talking about how Prometheus took the fire from the gods to share to humanity. And it's really, you know, this idea that um, the mystery schools really looked at Lucifer as, you know, passing on that divine knowledge um, and that idea that, you know, you can, you don't wait for a miracle. You have to approach divinity yourself, and it's through your own free will decisions that you are going to unfold the path to the eternal. Right. Right. You know, it's not going to be just like this mass awakening that's going to kind of come upon us. And, um, you know, you really kind of have to take, uh, take responsibility for this. And we're going to see that we're going to see that courage that kind of comes from it. And this is, this is, again, this is the, one of the traits that's going to be, that this director and Crowley thought was going to be so important to not only survive the old world and live through this transition, but to be part of the new world. Right. But there's there's no going back. And that was another thing that Nine's going to say to Five when they go on this journey to find two. They lose the map. Right. And Five's like, we should go back. He's like, we can't go back. And yeah. what they're signifying there is it's like, no, the old world is dead. Yeah. Like, we can't go back. Even if you tried to go back into the old world, we can't live there. Um, we have to continue this journey. Um, and again, he's going to be really the inspiration, and he kind of has that even Jupiter feel to him throughout it. Um, you know, again, we we see some very cool, very interesting, you know, astrological archetypes with like number one, kind of almost representing like Capricorn and rule following. You know, eighth is kind of like this this Aries, but it's it's not directed in the right spot. So we have this inversion, um, and then like five almost has like this. Virgo 
kind of analytical energy. So they all kind of bring certain skills and they're bringing the whole story together. Right. Um, and it's not that one astrological energy is going to survive over the other in this new world. It's how well you're expressing that astrological energy from what outlet, you know, because even one Capricorns definitely can transcend this and kind of transcend beyond this idea of um, where we kind of see one because he's very much like kind of an inversion of that. Right. Um, and so they're kind of going on this journey. They use the, we enter the tunnel, right? They go in this tunnel because they're following the footsteps of the beast. And we have this whole entering into the subconscious, entering into the shadow realm, right? And five's afraid. Right. And what's the quote that five said, what five says to nine, which is like the best quote in the whole Well, nine world? encourages them to go down, down the path and five is hesitant and he says, you're just like two. You can't remember how to, no, he says, you can't, you can't remember. You don't remember how to be afraid or something? You don't remember how to be afraid, yeah. You forget to remember to be afraid. That's what it is. You You forget forget to remember remember how to to be be afraid. afraid. One of the greatest quotes that's just completely slipped by so many people. And this is so important. And this is going to be something really important that we're going to see, especially when we look into Dune, when we think about Lord of the Rings. Mm Mm-hmm. To survive through this transition, you have to approach fear as this aspect of an indicator of something you need to rise above. And we have to rise above our fears. Fears cannot be guided by those decisions. It's going to murk up the water. Feel is the is the mind killer. Totally. Is what we're going to learn in Dune, right? And that's exactly what Nine's going to embrace. And he's just like, and again, he just turns on his light, which is so important because we've talked about this so far. How are you going to survive the dark winter coming? You have to turn your light on. This is the only way we're going to circumvent and really move through this map um, and kind of find what it is we're looking for. And so they go on this journey through this tunnel, which we know represents the subconscious. Right. And what do you find at the end of your subconscious is a monster because you haven't incorporated it yet. And we talk about that with the shadow self and even the aspect that the tracks, there's tracks to the tunnel. Of the monster. Right. So you can actually see the traces. You don't know where it is and you don't know what causes it, but you like, I have to follow that down. This is this is talking about going into the subconscious. So nine's really gonna kind of purify himself. They go, they go to rescue two. Um, they kind of get caught. The beast is all mad. It looks like it's gonna be the serious situation. And then we meet the most badass character of the film and that's seven and mm. she's going to come save the day the only female character the only female is character the warrior is the warrior yeah again this is a perfect explanation of how the physical sex does not have to represent the archetypal energy that it's presenting exactly. because she is the most masculine out of all of them and she's got the determination and she's got again a lot of courage and skill you know Nine's going to kind of use his mind later on to um, to save Seven, which is so interesting because Seven always kind of is saving him in the beginning. But still, when it comes to like the body and being in the body, nobody's more control of their body than Seven is. Mm-hmm. Complete body control. It's like a, you would say um, it's like their Sun and their Mercury is like in the sixth house. Like there's a really good connection between the psyche and the body. Um, really great control there, and um, it's really. Um, She's going to represent this really unique character because she's courage. We find now that not everybody bought one's bullshit, you know, and actually it was just five and two. And later we're going to meet six. 
But seven is going to show that, no, there's been a resistance to one the whole time. Right. You know, and this kind of is like when you find out about the occult and you find out about mystery schools and you're like, oh my gosh, there's been a counter to this, especially light mystery schools, but there's been a counter to this kind of this negative dark energy I see in the external. Right. And there's actually forces working against, it's like finding out about the buddy, but this, she also represents kind of like that trinity because she also is going to be even though she's this strong character that can stand on her own is going to kind of represent the romantic and the connective um, aspect of nine right you know and so we have kind of a a lot of stuff there but what do you think what was seven your impressions with seven when you first kind of no i think you nailed it i mean i mean obviously the every scene that's cut i mean for me it's hard not to look at every scene the way I look at every scene, just because of all the editing that I, I end up doing. So I'm constantly just like this scene, these, this thing, this thing, and everything is there for, for a reason. But, you know, of course, immediately you find out that nine understands the opposite sex um, immediately. Like immediately he's swooned by her. The eyes that they draw on him uh, or computer animate on him are just immediately fixated on her, right. her courage, her approach to a situation that all three males are completely paralyzed by and fearful of, of for their lives. Um, she comes and sort of, as you already mentioned, rescues um, all of them from, from this intimate dune. Um, but there's also, um, um, I, I really like how um, fluid she is and she wears the mask of a crow, I believe. Right. And that's just like, you know, the symbolism there. And like, I like that you talk about, um, I don't know if we should put a pause on this for a second and talk about um, Huxley, but um, you were talking about this era and we're talking about the the era. We've talked about the Yugas. We talked about Kali Yuga and, and what he mostly alludes to with the Egyptian uh, occult. Um, he puts a lot of these symbols in, into the movie. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to bring that up about, about how this is sort of this, this era, we talked about the era of the Kali Yuga and the, and the years that will, will be towards the, um, the end of, of humanity in a way to start over again, to purge, um, all the things that we've done wrong. And in, in this movie, it's like a 2000 year period, right? That they're alluding to, which is the era of horse. Yeah. And so that, yeah, that's perfect. And so this, this, the Egyptian calendar... Um, through Crowley's calculations, shifted from the age of Osiris to the age of Horus in 1904. And it is this kind of ch- this transition period. Um, and it, it is very connected to the Kali Yuga period because that transition from the end of this age to the beginning of the Golden Age is was in the 1930s. So again, it's like, well, it's 30 years off, but we're talking about galactic calendars here. Mm-hmm. 30 years isn't even a blink exactly. in these kind of calculators. So, And they even put it with the, the imagery. If you notice, like nothing is so much modern more than like, I think, up until like the 30s or the 40s. Nothing in, in, in this post-apocalyptic exactly, world. Exactly, like you're it, right. It's kind of like if World there. War II would have went a little different ways. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point, man, because that's exactly what it is. Even like the style of the clothes and the cars that we're seeing, that's so true. It's really kind of putting a pinpoint on that time zone. And and again, that's, you know, the idea of even fighting wars, you said, is a child's thing. And so you almost have these like adult children at that time because 1904 is going to be, by the time we're in the 30s, now all these adult man-children, I'm not saying that generation was adult man-child, but within this storyline right. and what Crowley's thing, this is why um, maybe something like that could have happened. Um, again, not calling any 
everybody from that generation a man-child because that was they had the face fear for sure. Um, but um, yeah. yeah, it's just this it's this interesting aspect of kind of what Seven's representing and how unique it is. And again, it's what makes what I really was attracted to this story because Seven really pulls you in, and it is it's like that Trinity powerful, sacred, feminine warrior mm-hmm. um, who also has empathy. It's not like it's this, you know, is it, you know, like Michelle Rodriguez who always plays like that really tough girl, but doesn't really have that empathy side to her. You know, it's like a really masculine, it's kind of like not so far that way. It's not all masculine. It's again, it's just like beautiful marrying. I don't know who Michelle middle. Rodriguez is. Paul Rodriguez's sister. He's always, she's always in all of his movies. No? Oh, okay. Yeah, she's a, but she is a badass. Like, she, I don't even know if she has to act. Like, yeah. I think she's just a badass Aries. But, um, but yeah, she always kind of plays it. And again, we've seen that role, and it's a, it's a great role to be seen. But this one is still, she kind of has this, like, empathy in the middle. Yeah. You know yeah Jennifer mean? Connelly. Amazing. Uh, yeah, amazing yep, that's character. another one. I mean, she's yeah, been, she can take care of business for she's, sure. She's been in, in a lot of movies that have a lot of occult um, symbolism and so she does a great job of playing seven there's no coincidence on why she was chosen um, right to be the character and again number nine and then again number five who is that that's the guy from john c riley yeah like i mean for him to be john kind c. of the, riley, man. they like literally pulled the right archetypes to kind of express oh, yeah. that you know because they just kind of like naturally did it and you know yeah. again like john c riley is definitely playing like a weaker individual than he probably is in life, but does a great job expressing oh, that, he does, you know, man. and, and just Christopher a... Plummer plays, um, one. Oh, and that's perfect. Yeah. Yep. Very, that... you know, if you don't know who Christopher Plummer, and obviously you can like look up these, these actors if you don't know of them, but Christopher Plummer has been in, in cinema for like pff, more than 50 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, right. They did a great job of bringing in, an ancient uh, approach, not ancient by his age, but just like another era he comes from into this movie, which right. again, hats off to him for just, you know, understanding and, yeah. you know, what, what, what role he's playing. But yeah, so now we move into the, the, the very specific scene, the scene of, of, I know in the beginning, what we talked about is when Dine takes the first fall and starts becoming aware of his surroundings, uh, aware that he has mobility and aware that he um, is in a new world, he finds a sort of like this little relic, this little um, piece right. that is going to be important throughout the whole movie. Okay. And and this piece, which has three symbols on it, it's probably about the size like of, of a penny, uh, he's been carrying around within him, inside, and now he has it um, exposed and, and, um, I think it, it falls and then the beast, when it takes two, takes the initially. Yeah. 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 So once they're now back into the layer of the beast and they've been saved by seven, they find that same, that same piece, that, that jewel looking, um, the pearl, the pearl. Yeah. And, and he picks it up again. You notice that nine is, is still sort of unfolding and sort of like developing his, sense of the world and his surroundings, but in this moment, in that vulnerable state, not knowing what he's doing, he picks up that piece, and that piece is what literally brings the life back to the main machine that is the original machine that was created by the scientist. So remember, the scientist has, has created something here, um, which again, we'll obviously get into right uh uh, in a few moments, but he's created this ability to bring inanimate objects to life through the um, the science of, of of 
basically projecting his soul into Mm -hmm. uh, these inanimate objects. And the inanimate objects are not just the dolls, but also the machines. And through this piece, this pearl-like device, Nine picks it up and places it right into a space that it seems to fit just perfect, which again now brings the main machine, the cause of all the the demise of of humanity, back to life. And in that moment, Seven and the rest of the group look at Nine kind of in disbelief by saying like, what have you done? Why have you, why did you just do that? And nine immediately just sort of looks like, you know, there's repentment in his face or there's sort of regret of like, oh my gosh, what have I done? So, so that's kind of where, where the movie sort of takes a turn there because the machine um, goes back into motion and the factory that makes more machines and the image of the machine also start to uh, move back into motion. At that point, they retreat back to um whatever layer they 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 go to to hide and um well before the library they go back to the church and in the church they don't go back to the church no i think they go they go to the library and then they go back to the church because they have to find what six has been drawing oh that's right the pisces that's right well they, they find out that the symbol that the symbols on this pearl right is what six has been drawing. Yes. But they don't know what any of this means. And so seven leads them to the library to meet three and four, which are the archivists and the historians that will teach nine and the rest of the group what, what happened in the past and what may be um, happening um, in their present moment. Um, And then they go back to the church, which is where one confronts them and says, look, all your, curiosity has gotten you nowhere you know what i mean it awoke the beast it woke the beast and so now you've you've made things from bad to worse which again this is the time where one takes a chance to say i was right all along this is a proof of this is the proof of your um buffoolery or your the way you're going about life without any kind of um you know, proper structure and direction has led us to more demise. But nine still knows something um, isn't right. And he knows that one knows something and he's hiding something. And he knows most of this information that they're just learning about in the library. So I think, again, I don't want to go too fast, but that's kind of how it all sort of unfolds pretty quickly after the machine comes back to to motion. Yeah. And the machine too, when it comes back to motion, we see the sacrifice of two because two right. pushes nine out. So again, we have the nurturing mother. And at this aspect, it doesn't just kill it. It like takes the soul, the soul of, two, of two, which is going to be really important because that's going to be the fuel that kind of powers this machine is taking souls. So again, deep aspects about how our connection with technology. And again, there's there's a deep esoteric allegory there, but there's also a deep, um, you know, exoteric of like, what happens when we give our souls to these machines? And so we have that whole aspect. And then, yeah, you're right. They they retreat back to the library, which is again very significant because this is this is the aspect of returning to knowledge to find to have answers. Rather than returning to this fear-based exoteric religion, they go to the place of knowledge. And you're right, we meet three and four who are the keepers of the knowledge. And they give a, a good breakdown of what happens. Um, but most importantly, that the movie, if there's any doubt that this is an alchemical text, mm-hmm. shows it to your face because 
they open a book from Paracelsus. Yep. And that's who the whole thing is based on. So it's all based off of Paracelsus. It's all based off of this alchemical philosophy. Um, Paracelsus is always kind of kind of alluded to as one of the most accomplished alchemists. Right. So here we have the story kind of be in place forward. Um, and the object is what's going to happen is because nine kind of draws the object and four and three and four have no record of this in their history. Like they look at each other and they're like, we don't know what that is. And yeah. that's when five is like, no, that's what six draws. And so we make that journey back, back into the beast, uh, which is a different beast. But we go back to now the old world, which is like the church, church. Um, and they get caught looking for Six's drawings. And Six is, is going to be the last character we meet. And it's almost like that transcendental, um, if in astrology, I would say this is like the 12th house, kind of representation of Pisces, like almost in between the worlds. He's the artist. The artist as well. Yeah. But he's also got this like deep connection to like, it's all, everything's in source. And like, even... When um, after this like fight, he goes to catch paper in his hand, and it dissolves, it and that's dissolves. so the twelfth yeah. house because it's all about dissolution and the dissolving. And so there's just again these really strong aspects. But with them being at the church, we have the the beast breaks in, right? And again, you you said it perfect. The one is like you did this, like you're the one that went looking for answers and. How important is that when we first encounter this esoteric information, how we could use it negatively to not only affect ourselves, or our environment with great power comes great responsibility. And you talked about it when nine made that piece fit. There's like this almost like um, hypnosis over him to like put it there and do that. And again, this shows, you know, what happens when you approach this information? Because when you start approaching the esoteric and the occult, there's very big circumstances for your actions because you have a little bit more power of manifesting the material. And so this is what we see. We see the the magician get burned a little bit, right. you know, learning his tools. And so we have this aspect where now the sacred feminine has been sucked out of the system by the beast, which you can kind of make your own allegory of today. Um, and then we, so we make our way back to this, um, we go back to the library, we're at the church, and then there's that attack and the church burns down in this attack. Now, well, before the the church burns down, they they really again they they the whole movie they're going to lay it on you really really fast. But there's a moment where um, the priest has to make a choice between life and everything that he's held on to as far as materialistic, um, uh, not wealth but but power. And in this moment, uh, to give a quick quick breakdown, the beast has a hold of the the priest. I'll just call him a priest. Uh, we'll call it number one the priest, and he has his cape, and and the cape is is buckled by by jewelry, if you will, right. you know, um, materialistic again, um, power, and he literally won't let go. He he's he's being pulled by nine. Nine says, "Let go of your cape," and the answer that one has for him is, "I can't," and he goes, "No, you have to," and finally the priest or one unbuckles his cape, which the beast takes with with him to to his doom you know this one mm -hmm. the, the, the this is another beast there's multiple of these beasts because, its image. Right. right and the beast dies and in that moment one just climbs over nine doesn't say thank you doesn't say anything he just says um uh he says something along the lines of like you owe me a cape yeah he's like yo yeah and so that's all he cares about you right. know even in even though nine just saved his life and obviously the world that one has created is 
slowly but surely just completely falling apart and that's when the fire ignites and and it's a very telling scene where one looks back over his shoulder at the church and it is a church um as it just uh is engulfed by flames right and so um yeah yeah and that's great because it's again it's saying you know these old exoteric institutions are not going to protect you they right. are going to dissolve in this as well. And we see that because they retreat to the library and then that dissolves as well too. You know, so even old knowledge, like it's not a left brain over right brain thing. It's a, it's going to be a combination of the two. Right. You know, and that's going to be, that's going to be really important. And so we, um, we now have this different kind of approach because now the journey to save two has elevated from saving his physical body to saving his soul. Right. And the essence of two. Um, and so we're going to, our hero's journey is really going to get set into motion where nine really kind of starts to take charge of the situation. And because one has kind of lost its cape, he's lost his social role. He's kind of lost his power. Right. Right. And so we see this dissolving and he's even losing his mind because he lost his social role. He lost his identity. So he's like talking to himself more. He's, He's just like he's in his questioning mind. things. He's yeah, and you know, and he's still, but he's still kind of holding. Oh yeah, true to what his principles are. But we're going to see even that dissolve by the end, and that's what's going to be kind of one of the most beautiful things is his transformation, um, even though it might not be in the physical. Um, but um, but yeah, so we kind of go on this journey, and just to kind of fast forward it, and I think we'll probably make like a almost like a scene by scene. We should do like a little patron video for this because it'd That'd be, be great, great to. Because there's so much symbolism just in every scene. In every scene. Every scene, you know? So maybe we'll take it kind of um, scene by scene a little bit deeper on the patron. But they kind of go on this journey, um, and they they use innovation, and they make like this great trap for the situation. They decide that they're going to go after the beast. Um, and they defeat it, but then it rises back up. Like they defeat it, and you think it's the end of the movie, you hear somewhere well, they, they finally take seven. Seven yes. is taken by the beast. That's right. And That's so now right. all of them have to go back and 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 try to get seven. seven right. Yeah. Which is again saving the sacred feminine. This exactly. is a different representation of the feminine, but it's the same thing. Um right. And so seven's kind of taken. And we have this whole scene where they kind of save it and we think they destroy the beast. Somewhere over the rainbow is playing, which is that allusion oh again gosh. to the esoteric. And it's yeah. just this really beautiful scene. And then it reemerges, right. you know, and what happens, you know, this is, again, it's all about that shadow work. What happens when you don't actually go to the causality of the problem right. and you just take off the surface? Well, it just reinvents itself. It recreates itself and it reappears. Um, and so we kind of have this, we think is the final battle and the falling action, but it wasn't. It was like this, you know, this prelude. Um, and so we have the hero has to do something much more. Right, and right. really kind of, and again, and it, it's that piece that comes back together. Well, they show that in. scene where one, once again, to gain control, one says, no, see, we haven't killed the beast, but now we have a chance to kill the beast, which is where Six finally, and Six says very little right. uh, throughout the movie. It doesn't have to, but in that scene, Six says, no, you can't destroy it because the beast actually has the souls of those who we right. that have perished before us. So just to kill the machine is to also let the souls go with the machine. So they have to find another way in order to retrieve the souls out of the machine. Yes, and and there's a battle one more time between nine and one because one's saying no, like enough is enough, like we're here. It's a vulnerable state. The machine is the machine has gotten its you know whatever wounds, um, 
but nine still knows like, no, this, this can't be like, you're saying this, which I really like, but nine saying you can't just, just, you know, finish this off on the physical. It has to be done properly and has to be done, um, the way it was meant to be done. And this, right. that's where six, you know, sort of intervenes. Right. right. And, and then, then you, go, it goes on. Sorry. Yeah. And you know what I thought too, we, we talked about six, but one thing too, that six says through the whole time and nine does this journey in between as he tells him to go back to the, the source. source. And I forget that nine does go back to the source and he like sees it and he kind of sees the aspect that they are in the image of the scientist right. and made in, in the sacrifice of the father for the son. Um, all the aspects, so, you know, everything's so, coming yep. back. Um, but yeah, six again, which is the transcendental, like that 12th house, I kind of saw it as um, always mentions just go back to the source. You have to go to the source mm-hmm. and, where do we have to go for our completion of this story and to really where, rise up and be that hero? Yeah, where we took our first fall. Where we took our first fall. Yeah, he source. goes back there. Yeah, redoes re, re that relationship. Um, and so we do, we have this inversion of that piece that he had the whole time, right? Because he put that, he carried that in from the very beginning after his fall. He didn't understand what it was, but he, he carried it. It fell out, the beast took it, but he's retrieved it. And now... He started a monster with that, but what he's going to do at the end is he's going to invert that and everything is going to go back to, everything's going to start progressing and this transition period is going to shift. The beast goes away, the soul's all free, and we actually see new life arriving Mm -hmm. through the rain, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's just like this beautiful connection at the end, but, um, you know, and again, there's, there's that symbolism of the rain and like even in the movie V for Vendetta when she Natalie Portman's like God is in the rain and she like sees it and it's it's like this really really powerful scene that's exactly what we're going to kind of see in this aspect and the aspect that we all come from the water and the water is kind of the the birth so we have the return of the mother right that feminine energy fallen from the divine which is the finer substances and um we have this beautiful thing where he even does like a ritual with the the five the um, pentagram five right? yep, yep the five pointed star, um, but not everybody made it. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Well, you got to know one one scene that's very crucial is there's a moment where the priest has his repent. Uh, yes, you know he he basically saves himself by understanding. He says um, there's a scene where nine is vulnerable at the moment where he's going to sacrifice his own soul to retrieve the souls that have been pulled by the beast. And in that moment, the priest or one says, one must sacrifice himself for the greater of Mm -hmm. of all. And he jumps in front of nine and takes his own soul and lets his soul actually be taken by the beast, which gives nine a chance to retrieve this jewel, this, 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 symbol you're talking about and pulls it off the beast and then the beast literally now is done collapses yeah and so so that's a very very big moment where old the old finally you know succumbs to the new exactly says you know what there's something greater going on here and if if i really believed anything i ever stood for this is the moment where i must you know really show up and one does one finally does show up and and says you know what like Above all, above all the power, above all the materialistic power uh, that I've had, um, this is the moment, and right. and that's how he gets his soul, and that's right. that's how his soul is able to climb to the heavens above, as well as everybody else's soul, and and the souls uh, that go uh, up and beyond and and above the world are what bring life back to the planet. Right. This kind of this evolution. Um, and we have these new participants of the new world. 
Right. You know, and again, that one, the order structural institutions doesn't really survive. Two is kind of this infinite connection that we're going to kind of grow, but that right. doesn't physically make it. Um, and then three and four, which are kind of the the history, they are a part of it. Right. They're they're going to survive. Um, five does not because of the fear. Six does not. Um, then seven and nine. And it really was kind of showing the energies that are going to, and again, it's all a collection of all of them. Yeah, it's all one of the scientists. Right, it's all of the scientists, right? But they're saying this is what's going to be so important to survive this this transition. Absolutely, man. So um, Beautiful movie. Beautiful movie. And, you know, we have, uh, unfortunately, we have two things. Eduardo has a, a plane to catch. I and do. I, um, and we have some alchemical counseling. But I think we're definitely going to tap into this on Patreon and... Maybe go scene by scene because it would be a great little breakdown. But again, if you guys have never seen this movie, um, I know you could rent it on Amazon. I think if you sign up for Stars for a free trial, it's on there right now. So if you want to do it on the cheap, just don't right. forget to cancel it if you're trying to do it on the cheap. But um, either way, it's always such a, an amazing aspect to be able to open our day with you guys today. So good, man. Good morning. Good right? morning. And um, yeah, the light barrier and everything, the whole aspect of that story. And again, a huge thank you to all the support and everybody who's been sharing the podcast. It uh, it means the world to Eddie and I. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, we grow the network um, little by little. And as you know, going out through this movie and this breakdown that individuals like the director of this movie um, and and many of the of the actors involved, there are more of us out there than then I think we really know. Right. And so, you know, we carry that light together. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else? You know, I think until next time. Until next time then.